Our scripture reading this morning can be found in Revelation chapter 3, and we'll start reading at verse 14. If ever you arrive and you don't own a Bible or you forgot yours, if you've been around for a while, you are probably realizing that pretty much every morning we open our Bibles and we look at a specific text. So if on your way in you don't have one, you forgot it, you can always ask. Look at Becky there. She's ready. She has Bibles. If you need one, put up your hand. Becky does not have COVID. We already asked her. Um, there's a couple at the, at the back there. Sorry, I, that was a bad joke. That was in poor taste. We're still in the middle of this thing, so my apologies. Um, okay, I keep doing this when I get up here. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Let's read together. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I can counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, we are, it's hard to believe, we're already in the final, final church here of this, church, this church's series of the seven churches. And so it is good to be gathered together and to be able to jump into this final one. Uh, next week is the start of Advent. Of course, next week we'll also be having baptisms. And so very excited for that opportunity. If you would like to be baptized, you have not been baptized uh, before. This isn't a double thing that you need to do. It's a one-time thing for followers of Jesus. But if you've never been baptized, would love that opportunity. Also, before we take a moment of pause and silence and checking in, I uh, recorded a podcast episode this past week that's a bit of a compliment to our series, goes a little deeper into uh, practically applying this series, The Seven Churches, interviewed someone by the name of George Sinclair, and he's a, a pastor of a church in the inner city of Ottawa. And so you can find that on anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Church of the City uh, Guelph. Uh, you'll see our logo pop up, and you can listen in there. Well, let's take a moment to sit, pause, reflect. Maybe at this point you just close your eyes, slow down your breathing, invite Jesus to meet you this morning and teach you. Yes, so Lord Jesus, we, we give you um, our hearts this morning, God, that 
Really what I mean by that, Lord, is, is, is everything about ourselves, our executive center. We just hand it over to you, and we pray that you, as you're a good doctor, that you would do surgery in our lives. That would you point out the areas, Lord Jesus, where we are unwell and where we need to be restored. And so, Lord Jesus, I also pray that as we study this church in Laodicea, this church, Lord Jesus, that had become lukewarm, would you also convict us as a church and us individually to recognize the area where we too are lukewarm? We thank you for what you're up to in the life of our church. I thank you for the movement of the Spirit in this season. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, um, we can have lots of conversation. I could share with you a lot about the different jobs that I had when I was uh, growing up through high school and then into university. But two main jobs that I had, two jobs that I uh, did for a few years was uh, concrete forming and also uh, tobacco priming. Uh, if you've ever seen what a tobacco plant is, I primed uh, tobacco for a few different summers, and that's because I grew up in Tilsonburg. It'll probably be lost on most of you, but there's a guy named Stomping Tom Connors, and he wrote a song about the tobacco fields of Tilsonburg, Tilsonburg, my back still aches when I hear that word. And so anyways, I worked in the tobacco fields of Tilsonburg, and both of these jobs I did in the summer, and you're familiar with uh, southern, southwestern Ontario summers, they can be incredibly hot and humid, and in tobacco priming, early in the morning, what we would do is because the, there was the dew of the evening, or of the, the mid-morning, would be on the, on the plants, and so what we would have to do is put on these full raincoat jackets, you know, the pants and then the, the jackets as well, and then we'd be sitting down within the plants and picking the leaves, because you had to, when you pick tobacco, you might not know this, you have to start at the bottom, on the bottom leaves, and then work your way up, and so as time went on, in both of these jobs, in concrete forming and in tobacco priming, it was very, very warm. And uh, as I started these jobs, there was a couple of purchases that I had to make before I began. And you'll understand the need of, of this particular item. And so you can put the item there on the screen now. I needed one of these water jugs, right? And I needed these because it was so hot. And if it wasn't in something that could keep the water cold, your water would become warm and lukewarm very quickly. And because it was so hot, you wanted to have a refreshing drink of cold water because of the heat. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can think of a time when you were doing something, it was really hot, and then you took a sip of water, and it was lukewarm, and you were really needing something cold. Maybe even to the degree that you even wanted to spit it out because it was just so foul because of what you were expecting, and then also the experience of it. Well, Jesus, in his words to the church of Laodicea, compares the prevailing spirit of the church. He says that they are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. And because of that, he issues them this warning that they're so lukewarm that he wants to spit them out of his mouth. So if you have your Bible, why don't we go and study his words specifically to us, why they matter, how we can learn from them, and then how we can correct as we turn to the Spirit of God and as we repent and confess and walk in the light of his grace. Verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. As a reminder, the angel of the church in Laodicea, we're not talking about a literal angel here. We're talking about a prevailing spirit or an attitude that is existing within the church. Now, the city of Laodicea, 
as we've been looking at all of these different churches within this region, it was 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, which we looked at last week, and then it was 40 miles east of Ephesus. So again, we're kind of doing the circular route. We're coming back to where we started, Ephesus being the first city. Uh, the city of Laodicea was located in the Lycus Valley, which was near the city of Colossae and Hierapolis. We'll study why that is significant here in a moment. And it was located at the convergence of what at the time were two important imperial trade routes. In the Roman times, the city of Laodicea had become the wealthiest in the entire kingdom of Phrygia, in what is now known as Asian Turkey. The city was home to large manufacturing and banking operations. They specialized in woolen carpets and clothing. Additionally, the fertile ground of the Lycus Valley provided grazing for sheep, and by careful breeding, a soft, glossy black wool had been produced that was in much demand, and it brought an a, whole, a whole level of fame to the region. Agricultural and commercial prosperity brought the banking industry to the city. And during the Roman period, it was the chief city of a Roman, of a Roman conventus or political, in the political district in which courts were held by the proconsul of the province and where the taxes from the subordinate towns were then collected because, again, of its banking presence. Laodicea was also the center of the imperial cult. The city was home to a medical school. Uh, no surprise, the city was the center of worship of the god of medicine, and it also hosted the provincial court. Laodicea was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 62, but then it was rebuilt, get this, by the wealth of its own citizens without the health the help of the state. So once again, think a wealthy city. Some weaknesses of the city, however, was the lack of an adequate and convenient source of water. Water actually had to be brought in from the springs about 16 miles to the south. It was also a city that was subject to frequent earthquakes, which eventually resulted in its abandonment, it now being a deserted place. Some of its ruins, maybe you've seen some of the ruins of the city on the screen here, indic indicate the true magnitude of the city's former importance and its prominence. Among these was a race course, three theaters, one of which is 450 feet in diameter. The city of Laodicea is mentioned in other parts of the New Testament, in particular Paul's letter to the, the city in Col of Colossae, Think of Colossians 4, verse 16 on the screen for us. Paul writes, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so the Laodicean church is obviously on the heart and mind of Paul as he's writing the letter to Colossians, as Colossae was a city that was quite close to Laodicea. So what is the picture? What are we to understand about Laodicea, the city, and then as we've come to see, as, as the cities are described, there's oftentimes that prevailing spirit of the city that is also existing within the church. And here's what we have to understand about Laodicea. Laodicea was a wealthy and affluent city, and by all appearances, it was self-sufficient. Laodicea was a wealthy and affluent city, and by all appearances, it was self-sufficient. But tragically, as we will see, affluence, wealth, and self-sufficiency bring along some unique spiritual 
challenges. Jesus then identifies himself. He says the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The amen. What he's saying is that he is the one who is steady and unchangeable in all of his purposes and promises. He then identifies himself as the faithful and the true witness. He presents the trustworthiness of himself, as we'll see in contrast to what we'll come to understand as the unfaithfulness of this particular church. We then read the beginning, or in other translations, the ruler of God's creation. We should understand this in light of, again, if you go to Colossians, Colossians 1 verse 15, as Jesus is described on the screen for us, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Speaking of who? Jesus Christ. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Amen. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is Jesus introducing once again for ourselves himself to this particular church. So the question I want us to first begin to consider as we dig into what was going on in the church is, are we listening? At the end, he's going to come back, as we've already heard, and said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Must we start now also recognizing and asking ourselves the question, are we listening? Do we have and are we getting a clear picture of who it is that is speaking to us and to this church? Well, as Jesus has said to some of the other churches, he says, I know your works. And this should be no surprise to us that Jesus, who knows all and sees all, the amen, the true and faithful witness, that he would see and know our works. And as he saw them and knew them of the church in Laodicea, he sees and knows our works and your works now. And what does he say of the church in Laodicea? You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now before we get specifics of their spiritual condition, we need to consider some of the local context and why these words would stand out for the Laodicean church above maybe some others. Six miles north from Laodicea, across the Lycus River, was the city of Hierapolis, which was famous for its hot springs, which rose from within the city, and then they flowed across and then spilled over a broad escarpment directly across from Laodicea. There was then this cliff that was about 300 feet high and a mile wide. And as the hot mineral or carbonate-laden water traveled across the plateau, it would gradually become lukewarm before falling over the edge. Therefore, the Laodiceans who expected hot water would then drink and then would consequently spit out due to the lukewarmness of the water. And so what is Jesus describing here? 
an experience that they know and recognize. And as this experience that they know and recognize, so he describes their spiritual condition. Colossae, another city that was close by, had cold water. And so it's also a contrast between Hierapolis, Colossae, you exist in the middle, and you know the experience of the lukewarm water that gets to you. Therefore, the concept of lukewarm water, the concept of wanting to spit this type of water out of your mouth would have had a striking, would have hit a striking, and it would have hit a particular chord to this church. So what is Jesus communicating then? Well, again, he uses the hot medicinal waters of Heropolis and the cold, pure waters of Colossae to illustrate the spiritual condition of the church, and maybe it's your spiritual condition. These two writers and theologians say this about this condition. The church of Laodicea was providing neither refreshment for the spiritually weary nor healing for the spiritually sick. It was totally ineffective. And thus, it was distasteful to its Lord. Matthew Henry in his commentary writes, Lukewarmness or indifference in religion is the worst temper in the world. If religion is a real thing, it is the most excellent thing, and therefore we should be in good earnest in it. If it is not a real thing, it is the vilest imposture, and we should be earnest against it. If religion is worth anything, it is worth everything. And indifference here is inexcusable. Why halt you between two opinions? If God be God, follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. Here is no room for neutrality. An open enemy shall have a fairer quarter than a perfidious neuter, and there is more hope of a heathen than of such. Christ expects that men should declare themselves in earnest either for him or against him. Are you getting a picture of what is being described? So as water becomes lukewarm by mixing hot and cold, so the church of Laodicea is lukewarm as the truth that they had received had been diluted with air and now they are soaked in spiritual apathy. What's the consequence of this lukewarmness? Jesus does not hold back. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. As lukewarm water turns the stomach, provokes a vomit, the same is said of those who profess Christ, yet are lukewarm in their faith. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, there's obviously a present, experienced reality that, that brings to light for us why this is such a big deal and why Jesus calls them out for it. Two theologians write, The lukewarm has been brought within reach of the holy fire without being heated by it into fervor, having religion enough to lull the conscience in what? False security, but not religion enough to save the soul. And what this lukewarmness does, and you know this if you've experienced it in your own life, is that it brings a complete false sense of a spiritual security. So there's the big deal in the present experience, but also there's the big deal in the future of a life without Christ. To be spat out, to actually be deceived, and to not have Christ. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape letters write this, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light, speaking of Christ, and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. 
Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Well, Jesus then continues with his rebuke and answers the question of how they've gotten to where they are. Some of us maybe have the experience of how have I gotten here, but what does Jesus say is the way they've gotten themselves there? Verse 17, for you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that in fact you are wretched, pitchable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you notice the rub? They say that they're rich. They say that they've prospered. They say that they need nothing. In other words, they believe that they are self-sufficient. And so that, in fact, is the real danger and the warning. And so as we've explored already in Laodicea that the material wealth was great and that that wealth has then been proven historically, this attitude of self-sufficiency via wealth Material wealth had now seeped its way into the church. A self-sufficient attitude in material wealth had led to a self-confident, lukewarm state in spiritual things. As another person put it, they carried the pride of wealth into their spiritual life. And Jesus, the one who knows their works, the true and faithful witness sees what they are and notice how he calls them out he says they're wretched pitchable poor blind and naked they're those that pride themselves in their wealth yet what does he say they actually are poor you maybe are reminded uh, if you've been part of church of the city for a while we did a series through the beatitudes and what's the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit To quote myself from that message, I said, The poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are helpless without God's help. This church was the exact opposite of that. We don't really need God. We can do it on our own. Now my question then for us is that can we relate? Can we heed this danger and the present reality in our lives as being some of the wealthiest in the world. In that sense, how real is this danger for you and for me, this danger of lukewarmness? Well, now that Jesus has identified the spirit of the church, how does he encourage them to move forward? He says, I counsel you. (laughs) Notice what he says. And there is the irony here. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So you think that you're wealthy. This is what you really need to buy, he's saying. Gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He says gold refined by the fire. What he's talking about is spiritual wealth and that is what is in view here. And Jesus is inviting them to himself. This is not something that they can gain by their own merit. It's a free gift of God. He then says white garments, white clothes within Revelation are symbolic of righteousness or right standing with God, whereas nakedness in the Bible is a symbol of judgment and humiliation. So he says, come to me, receive my righteousness and the white garments that come. 
Robert Mounts writes, In God's sight, the Laodiceans were walking about spiritually naked, not understanding their humiliation and needing the white robes of righteousness that could be purchased at no cost except the acknowledgement of their shameful condition. The immediate cause of their blindness was spiritual blindness. And then he says, Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Their spiritual blindness is also in contrast, which is also an interesting thing contextually, that they were famous for an eye salve, like a medicinal eye salve in this city. And so what does he say? I will truly give you the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. John 9, verse 39, Jesus says there, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. We need Christ to bring about this light. Let's continue. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Is not this the gracious gift of a good parent? The true love is to discipline. True love is to reprove. He wants them to live in relationship with him. He desires that for them and for you and for me. Let's not hear these words of him in anger, but let us hear them in his desire that we would be wooed to love him. Jesus continues, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is a familiar verse. It's oftentimes used in evangelistic settings for those who don't know Jesus. Come to know Jesus. And that's likely fine, but don't forget the context of Jesus calling a lukewarm church back to himself. You know, their religion had become so self-sufficient that Jesus gives the picture here that now he's outside of the church and he's knocking. Will you let me in? Can I, the one that has saved your souls, can I be let back into your church? I mean, just even close your eyes and have a picture of Jesus standing outside this building as we are sitting here this morning. He has been pushed out and he's now standing there and he's knocking saying, is it okay if I come in? Think about how all the religiosity or the spiritual observance that we might be doing. Is it void of Jesus? Have we pushed him out of the building? Are we self-sufficient in ourselves? And he says, will you let me back in? Can I come in? Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The faithful are promised that they will sit with Christ. What a gift. And then he closes with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so as I've been saying throughout this series, are we listening? Are we listening? 
Are we listening to Jesus? Not just on Sunday mornings. Are we increasingly growing into greater dependence upon Christ in the everyday stuff of our lives where we live, work, learn, and play? As you look at your life, as you consider the condition of Monday to Saturday, are you increasingly dependent upon Jesus or has the self-sufficiency of our culture of the North American dream Has it gotten so deep within us? And then the self-sufficiency that we do live with. I mean, think of the prayer within the Lord's Prayer of give us this day our daily bread. Many of us have never had to truly pray that prayer because we don't know where our bread is coming from. And yet the prayer calls us to a life of simplicity, of contentment and generosity. And we have so much that we can be truly spiritually dead and blind and poor as this church in Laodicea has, where Jesus is outside of the building, outside of the church, only saying, will you let me back in? Will you let me back in? As we conclude this series... I'd invite us to consider again the messages of Jesus to these seven churches in Revelation. And that the challenges for each of these churches was actually universal. That lukewarmness, we get that. If we go back to Ephesus, it was the danger of losing the first love. Their theology was good. They thought rightly, but they lost love for God and for others. In Smyrna, Jesus encourages them and says, keep going, persevere, more suffering is coming, but I am with you, hold fast. In Pergamum, it was doctrinal compromise. You maybe remember that message. Don't lose sight, don't listen to false teaching, hold fast to the truth. In Thyatira, it was moral compromise. Hold fast to me, I am with you. Continue to pursue the way of Jesus. In Sardis, it was a a bit of a spiritual deadness. You say that you are alive, but you are actually dead. In Philadelphia, a failure to hold on, a desire for belonging. And Cam challenged us last week to be reminded that our belonging is in Christ. And then in Laodicea, there is this lukewarmness. You may have been given as you walked in today, if you were desiring it, communion. I think there's no better way to conclude this series. And with Jesus, I believe he was asking of the church, he's also asking of us today, do you hear? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. If again, you close your eyes and imagine that picture, is Jesus within or is Jesus outside? Where is your dependence? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those those who are blessed are described as those who have need for God's help. As you examine your life, do you live in such a way that you need God's help? You know, prayer is a great kind of marker, symptom. How often are you depending upon God in prayer? We must examine our lives in that way. Or has self-sufficiency gotten its way into our spiritual life and in fact we've become this lukewarm people, person, church. 
would invite us to consider some writing here by someone by the name of Thomas Wilcox. You notice here on the screen, he was living from 1621 to 1687. What you'll note from his writing is that the thing that he struggled with is also still the thing that we're struggling with on a daily basis. But look what he says as we turn and have communion here. We'll be tempted to shame ourselves, yet look what we must look to. And communion is a great reminder. If you try to do anything yourself in order to make up for your sin, you renounce Christ the righteous, who was made sin for you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Remember, in all Scripture, there is not one condemning word spoken against a poor sinner stripped of self-righteousness. The person that comes and says, I am poor in spirit, God, I need your help. You complain much about yourself? Looking at your obedience, your changes, your growth, instead of looking at Christ is dangerous. Looking at your spiritual success will only make you proud. Looking at Christ's grace will only make you humble. Don't look for a moment away from Christ. Don't look upon your sin first. Look upon Christ first. When you mourn for sin, if you can see Christ, then cast your sin's guilt away. Let sin break your heart, but not your hope in the gospel. If you would pull back that first layer. Communion and its remembrance and also the celebration invites us to look to Christ. And so let us take this wafer looking to Christ whose body was broken for us in our place. And then you can peel back that next layer. And as we take this juice symbolic of Christ's shed blood for us, may we also look to Christ, look at Christ as his blood was shed for you and for me. And he's now welcomed us and adopted us into his family. Let's take it. You know, it's sort of a, an interesting good news story about the church of Laodicea. As it becomes for us an example of repentance and faith, as in latter times they were flourishing. In AD 361, one of the councils was held in Laodicea in which the canon of Scripture was determined. And it was held in this city. Praise God for their repentance and for their faith. May the same be said of us. And with Jesus, we welcome back in. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word to this church in Laodicea. God, we here in southwestern Ontario, 
God, in our wealth, can so easily live a spirituality that is defined by self-sufficiency. And yet, as we see here this morning, Jesus, that becomes a lukewarm spiritual state in which we are no longer dependent upon you, but really dependent upon ourselves. God, would we turn to you? We recognize our poverty and then recognize the wealth that you give us, which is true wealth, spiritual wealth. In your name we pray. Amen.